part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. I ask you to open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We're going through kind of verse by verse. I'm going to thank Jeff for uh, uh, last week taking uh, the passage that was before us. Uh, I offered him, I said, you know, if you don't want to handle the whole uh, wives submitting to husbands thing, you know, that that's fine. You know, we can kind of just, uh, I'll, I'll handle that when I get back. And he jumped right in there. I just appreciate him so much for, number one, willing to uh, fill the pulpit and uh, also to take on that. And he did a, a really admirable job with that. And we're going to continue on this morning as we're going to start with verse 8 through 12. And it's one of these uh, subjects, guys, that in, in one way, there's the fear of you zoning out. Because I don't know that there's anything in here in this passage this morning that really is going to be brand new to you if you have frequented church over the years. It's something that may be brand new to somebody if this is like your first time ever in a church. But if you've grown up in church or if you've just attended church kind of off and on for a while, this isn't unfamiliar because it's part of really what we see repeatedly through the Word of God, this call. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be Christ-like. You can find that throughout the New Testament, that there's this example put before us, and now this call to, as one place, says, be ye holy as I'm holy. Be Christ-like. And yet, one of the things that I really hope to bring out today is that there's a difference between doing Christianity and, and being a Christian, being Christ-like. And in one way, that's so simplistic. And yet it is a trap that a lot of us really get caught up in and, um, and really exert a lot of energy uh, in uh, falsely. Uh, let me start with just, even though it's quite personal in nature, there's been four times in my life that I can remember a dramatic change between one second and, and kind of the next second. Uh, the first one was uh, uh, when I was 22 years old. And uh, Carly and I wed, and we were husband and wife. And uh, that was almost now 35 years ago. And I remember that day as, as we took those vows and as we committed ourselves one to another, I, I can remember really going, okay, when I walked in here, I wasn't married. And when we walked down that aisle afterwards, that now I was a husband. That excited me. That was just something I I'd, But I can remember just profoundly thinking that there had been something dramatic that changed in me. Now, I'd already, we had dated for a couple of years, and we were engaged for a year. And so it's, it's not that I didn't love her, but there was a dramatic change in that moment that when they said, you are now husband and wife, and you may kiss your bride. And there was, I just remember thinking, wow, all this preparation, all this kind of anticipation, all this planning, and now reality has set in. A few years down the road, another reality came into my life. And I can remember it as distinctly as if there was just a part that God turned on the light. And that's when we had our first child. And I can remember that, you know, here she had been carrying uh, our, our little one for seven months. She came two months early, but for, for seven months. And we, we had the room ready. We had all these other things ready. And we're, so we're kind of anticipating. But I can remember. I mean, it really was like all of a sudden when you look down and unfortunately, because she was so small and preemie, we, we didn't really get to hold her and everything initially. Um, but I can remember looking into that little incubator thing, and I was a dad. And it says, there was a part of my heart 
that had not existed before that now existed. There was a third time in my life, and now this is not to diminish the time that Bethany, my second daughter, was born, but I was already a dad, and so I didn't have that same feeling. I certainly had that same feeling toward her, but it wasn't a new thing. I was already a dad, and now I was a dad again. So please don't feel like Bethany's being left out here, okay? (laughs) The third time I felt that, where there was just a dramatic change, is I've been in ministry for, for about 36 years now, and I was in student ministry and all that, and, and that was, those were important roles in my life. But when God called me to pastor at Shadowbrook, I can remember, you're a pastor. And there was a part of my heart that God just enlarged, but I loved these people. And it wasn't a love that was intrinsic into my own self. It wasn't like, all of a sudden, I go, man, I just, I'm just really love these people. God placed something, and I felt a dramatic change from the day that I walked in that moment, and then I walked out as pastor of these precious people, and it was something that just overwhelmed me, that, that it got to give me both the responsibility, but just a love for these people. And I really couldn't explain it. The fourth time was last week. And we've been wanting to be grandparents for a while. We've been, I think we've been pretty good of not... Okay, now when? Come on now. <laughs> We're getting older. Everybody else is becoming grandparents. And uh, you that are grandparents will understand this, and please don't hear that as condescending to anybody who isn't a grandparent yet, okay? I'm not trying to make it the grandparents club, but, but in a way it is, it's one of those things that when your baby has a baby, I mean, you remember that scene from Lion King when he takes the little cub and he, and he throws it on the edge? If they would have allowed me to do that, I would have done that. I would have went into the top of the hospital and just taken that baby and said, Elliot Ray, you know. I, I say that, guys, because in each one of those things, there was almost this instantaneous Something that, yes, you had been prepared for. There's something that intellectually you kind of had some knowledge of. You certainly have an anticipation of. But until that moment came, you just did not know what a husband was. You didn't know what maybe a pastor was. You didn't know what a father was and now a grandfather. If you notice, I left off of probably, I, I hope, a very important part of my life there in those four events. And that's when I was 12 and I became a Christian. Because I will be honest with you guys, I did not have an instantaneous thing that all of a sudden, I'm a Christian. I mean, I did, but it wasn't one of those things that was so impactful like these other four events. Now, before you scold me, before you think, well, you should have, number one, I was 12 years old. Number one, I think I had some intellectual knowledge of what it meant of my sin and that he was my savior and that I had confessed my sin and I had trusted in the finished work of Christ. I think intellectually I knew that. By belief I knew that. Certainly there was like, man, I'm a Christian now. But I don't know that I really understood that it was something that I was as opposed to something that I do. Over the years, as I get more and more into the word, I understand that Christianity, this following Christ, that he's my father and that that I follow, it's something that I am. It's not something I do. I think it's probably perhaps the biggest challenge of Christian life 
You know, I talk all the time about this isn't just moral following moral teaching. Certainly we are to be the most moral of all people. But, but Christianity isn't something you do. It's something that you are. And we really see that kind of in Peter's explanation and what he lays out today. And I don't know that it's going to be one of those things like when you get married, then suddenly you weren't a husband, now you are a husband. You weren't a father, now you are a father. You weren't a pastor, now you are the pastor. You weren't a grandfather, now you are a grandfather. I don't know that it's going to be that. I don't say that you evolve as a Christian. I think you mature as a Christian. And part of that maturity is that you get away from doing and you just understand that this is who you are, all by the finished work of Jesus Christ. If I've totally lost you, if you're saying, I mean, I, Bobby, you're clueless. I'm clueless of what you're trying to say. Let me try to finish up with the word of God. 1 Peter 3.8. He's been talking, uh, just to, uh, to remind us, he's been calling us into submission. Submission to governing authorities, uh, submission at work, uh, uh, submission to any kind of authority that's around you. Last week, uh, submission in marriage and to family life. And so he's called into all these things of submission, and now he calls the whole church, that is every Christian, he calls into submission and to a call. Look what it says there in verse 8. Finally, now usually when we use the word and somebody says finally, it means it's almost over. If I was preaching this morning and I said, now finally, you would know that we probably only have 30, 40 minutes left, Okay. <laughs> But usually when somebody uses finally, we think that this, and, and he uses it kind of like that, but he's really using it, he still has more, two more chapters. There's still a chapter four and a chapter five. So he's not ending the letter. What he's doing is, okay, finally, I've taken all these different thoughts on submission, and I want to kind of wrap them up into one kind of fiber, one kind of being. It's kind of like taking a funnel, and it's, the funnel is this wide at the top, and then it's this small at the bottom. And he's taking all these teachings on submission, and he said, okay, here's what it boils down to. Here's the bottom line for you as Christians concerning life in the church and life as a Christian. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, it's not the first time that we've seen the word where a pastor, or apostle, or somebody, a leader, calls a church into unity. Paul does that on several occasions. He does that with the Philippians. But every time that we see it, in, or a lot of the times that we see it in other places, there's a direct problem in the church. Uh, for example, in the church of Philippi, there was two ladies that were not getting along, and basically it was dividing the church. Half the church had kind of decided with one lady, and half the church had decided with this other one. And Paul, as he writes to the Philippians, he says, okay, I want you to get along, and I want you to have unity. And while he doesn't directly address just what was going on there, he calls them in response to a problem that they would have all known about. Peter, as far as I know, is not addressing a problem in the church. There's not a division. What's going on is that they're just kind of going, how do we even continue on this life of Christ when we are being persecuted, when there's just so much torment in our lives? It's a book of suffering. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. There's two different ways that you can live this out. The first is to try to do these things, to try to be a person who, or, you know, to do unity. Well, I'm just going to, you know, like in marriage. 
You have division in marriage. You have two different opinions. Well, I'm just going to be the silent partner now, and you just have your way. Number one, that's not really unity, and it's not really solving the problem. But we can try to do unity. We can try to do sympathy. We can try to do those. And certainly there's actions that take place when you show brotherly love. But what Peter's really getting at here is that this isn't a to-do list. He doesn't mention five different things and say, when you do these things, Seth, just check them off as you do those. He said, no, this is what I want you to be. The hardest part of really kind of grasping what God has called us into is that God is asking to be a kind of people, not just to do a list of things. Does that make sense, guys? Because the way that we respond to this list, anytime that we have a list, is going to be dramatically different. The fact is we are oriented toward doing. We love doing. There's a self-satisfaction in doing. As we've said many times before, one of the satisfactions of doing is that it's actually something that we can end as we go one, two, three, four, five, done. And so there's a satisfaction that you can accomplish something. So so we like list and we like doing because it's something that's kind of on our shoulders, kind of different from being. Let me go back to those other illustrations, those other responsibilities that I have as a a father, a pastor, as as a husband. Well, would you agree that I can do the things that a husband should do without really having the attitude of being a husband? Can you do some of the actions of a husband without actually having the heart of a husband? It may be difficult. Maybe your heart's not in it. But can you go through the motions of doing something without the heart and the foundation being there? Yeah. For many of us, it's called work, Monday through Friday. I mean, seriously. (laughs) Some of you love your jobs and you can't wait till tomorrow morning. You just wish it was more 9-ish than it was 6.45-ish. There's other of you, you know, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to do the tasks that are at hand. I'm going to do the job. You don't love your job. And so you keep on going because you know that there's a proficiency there of when I do my job, I get a paycheck. And so I like this paycheck. And so I'm going to do my job. There's others that, not that you ever want to be challenged, would you do it without pay? But some of you understand that's just who you are. I was talking to Mandy before. I said, you know, Mandy, you're a teacher. It's not something you do. You have to do tasks as a teacher. It's something you are. And it shows out in the way that you love kids, in the way that you have a concern for those kids. Not just a task to be accomplished, but you love those kids. Christianity is something we can do, guys, if we just want task. But it was never intended to be a task list. It's always to be understanding that this is who we are now. And so it's something that we are to be. Now, now let's go back to this because this, this kind of, this unity of mind, let's just take the first one, have a unity of mind. We can all just decide that let's all play nice and get together. And just make sure that we don't cause waves. One thing that, I, as far as I know about this church, in my limited history here, is that it's been a pretty peaceful church. And hopefully I haven't brought any, you know, corruption to that. I haven't, you know, you know done things that would bring uh, an end to that. 
But having a unity of mind is more than just, okay, uh, let's all agree that, you know, we really need to change this green carpet. Amen. (laughs) One day, we're getting there, we're getting there. But all of a sudden, you know the old joke about, man, we're getting new carpet. Good. It's going to be this or that color. And all of a sudden, there's division. I mean, isn't it kind of silly when you think about that churches have divided over the color of the carpet? And I know that that's, in a way, a joke. But guys, especially some of you younger guys, do you know that that's actually happened in churches before? That people, yeah, (laughs) as strange as that would sound, why would ever a church ever divide over the color of the carpet? But it actually happens sometimes. Unity of mind isn't just all of us all of a sudden saying, you know, green carpet is the way to go. And even if you want it blue or red, that you're going, okay, I'm, I'm fine with green. That's not unity of mind. Unity of mind is, is that you're unified in the mission and the call that you feel as you gather together. It's not just on the things. It's what you're about. Does that make sense at all? Because I, I want to make sure that we, uh, you know, this is kind of, in one way, it's a philosophical thing. And another way, it's kind of this way of understanding. I don't want to play word games. I don't want to sit there and say, okay, this is the doing part, this is the being part. But I think it really does come down to other roles in our life. There are days, would you not agree that, that as much as it is a blessing to be a mother or father to be a parent, are there days that you just do parenthood? Yeah. Now, underneath that doing parenthood, you are a parent. And that's why you keep the doing. But which one precedes the other? It's the being that precedes the doing. And there's some really dry times. There's some frustrating times. As a husband and wife, are there days that you are just doing the doing, but it's the being that really keeps you there? See, that's where the challenge comes in. In Christianity, in one way, guys, there's there's nothing that keeps you here. You can leave tomorrow. You can leave right now. You could leave, you know, we can't, I guess we could tie you to the chairs, but that probably wouldn't uh, last very long. We'd eventually have to let you go. Christ doesn't call us into a life of doing. He calls you son and daughter. This being, this is who we are. Maybe when I was 12 years old, maybe that light should have gone off and maybe I should have said, you know, I wasn't a Christian yesterday, but now I am a child of the living God. I mean, maybe in my, you know, at 12 years old, I should have had the maturity. I just didn't. I just knew that I'd become a Christian. But it's over the years that I've just amazed that God would love me and that he chose me and that he has saved me. Unity of mind. He goes on and he begins to talk about uh, in that second one, he begins to, to list these different things. He says sympathy. Now, sympathy is an action. It is something that we can go and do. But sympathy at its root base is really uh, part of understanding what that other person is going through. It's really kind of putting yourself in a situation where you're sympathetic to that person. So it's more than just a doing of tasks. For example, let's say that somebody has a sickness in the church and you decide that you want to go and you want to take a meal over there. That's something you can do. It shows love. But there's a sympathy when you begin to really understand, oh my goodness, 
that means that you're out of work right now. Maybe you're out of a paycheck right now. Maybe you're this. And the sympathy kind of stretches you beyond just the doing and fulfilling the need in their life. And it actually begins to make you sympathetic for what they're going through. That's why in Hebrews it says that Christ is a sympathetic high priest. He's not just this God that's afar off looking down and going, man, it looks tough down there. No, he's the God who clothed himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us, did those things that brought vulnerability to his life so that he could truly say, man, I'm a sympathetic high priest. There's a difference between just doing and being. It goes on and says, okay, not just sympathy, but brotherly love. We can be loving people, but the word that's used here is where we get the word Philadelphia. It truly means it's brotherly love. It means a, a family love. A love that is, I mean, do you love your brother or your sister, honestly, more than you love your neighbor? Is there a different kind of love that you have? Yeah. I mean, there's a love that we should have for all people. Would you not agree that the Bible says, be loving to all people? And yet, if it's your brother or your sister, your mother or your father, your son or your daughter, would you not agree that there's just something deeper there? That's what we're called into. A familiar, not familiar as I understand, family oriented, a familiar love. He said, I want you to have brotherly love. Well, that's kind of impossible for me to have that, to just do that without being that. When God called me to pastor, because I'm just going by my own experience. I, I'm just telling you, all of a sudden, there was, it was the Spirit of God, because it sure wasn't the Spirit of Bobby <laughs> that began to love the unlovely. You know how we talked a couple weeks ago? And we're not trying to be condescending. We're not trying to be critical. We're not trying to be uh, dividing or anything. But, you know, there's just some people that you get along with, and then other people are going, you're weird. They're weird. <laughs> and, and it's not that you don't love them and care for them, but you're just going, okay, again, as we said last time, I'm probably not going to go on a seven-day vacation with them, Okay. And that's not being, you know, that's not trying to be mean. It's just, okay, we're drawn to some people and others we're, we're not drawn to. And more than likely, if they asked them, they would say, yeah, pretty much. I don't want to go on vacation with them either. <laughs> that's just that, that there's differences in us. But, but here's what happened, guys. When God told me to pastor, all of a sudden, some of those unlovely people, and again, I hope nobody's offended by this because it's not the intention of my heart to offend but some of those people that I didn't, you know, we just didn't jive together. God gave me a love for those people. Maybe even more so than the ones that I would be friends and go out Friday night with. And I can say that not because all of a sudden Bobby was just a better person or Bobby started doing pastoral things. God just opened up this part of my heart and said, this is who you are. You love these people. And you love the lovely and you love the unlovely. You love them when they're lovely. You love them when they're unlovely. Guys, this isn't the call of just a pastor. This is the call of Christianity. And and, and so then he says, okay, then you're going to have this natural sympathy. Because if you truly have this natural love now, or this supernatural love is better said, if you truly love them as a brother, you're going to be sympathetic. Look at what else he says. You're going to be tender-hearted. In the Greek, the Greek is very expressive here. It's very um, 
uh, anatomically pointed in the Old Testament, especially, but here in the New Testament, from the bowels. You know, from in other words, from your innards, from the most inner part of you, so you, you become tender-hearted. Now we think of the heart being up here, and yet the word that's used here is that you have this attitude of love and this tenderness that comes from so deep within you that it just kind of swells up. It's in the depth of your very being. And then he kind of ends this temporary list with be humble-minded. Move from thinking more of yourself to, to thinking more of others. And that's been this call of submission all along. Now all of that is to say this is impossible without the spirit of the living God coming and dwelling in you. You can do the acts of Christianity in the flesh in your own ability. You may not be able to do them well, but you can go and be kind. You can go out tomorrow and be friendly. You can go out and do, you can do, you can even show empathy. You can do a lot of those things just in your own nature, in your own flesh. But to really get that, to be that person where you are truly empathetic, you are truly loving them as you love your own family, to truly be tender-hearted, where from the bowels you are hurting over this person that you barely even know, folks, that only comes by the Spirit of God. I could not have told you in anything but theory last week what it was like to be a granddad. I can tell you this morning, we had a hard time coming home. <laughs> and it just kind of turned on. It just was something that happened. Look down there and see that little baby. And all of a sudden, it's not that it was not like the Grinch where your, your heart grew three times bigger that day. It was like a part of your heart that you didn't even know existed all of a sudden just turned on. And it was new from, you know, a new road for you, a new experience for you. I say that because to me that's the most similar thing I can find that really kind of explains where Peter's going with all this. That what he's calling the church to is not a list of things to do. He's calling them to be a people. And as we become those people in Christ Jesus, then he said, then you are going to be showing not just love, but a brotherly love. You're going to start loving people even like you love your own family. And I know for some of us that just seems very strange that we could do that. You're going to have a tender note. You're going to have a, a real, real interest in other people that's going to come from your very bowels, from the inside, from the deepest part of you. Not just because that's your son or your daughter, your husband or your wife, your mother or your father, but because they're another person and that God has just given you a love for them. Now, I will tell you guys, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. I, I can tell you that it became down to my family or you. I'm just being honest. There's, there's no, I know who I'm going to pick. But I, don't, <laughs> but I don't know that that's the challenge that Peter's putting through out here. I think the challenge is, hey, I want to grow you to a place, not so that you love your family less. I want you to love your, these other people more. Does that make sense? I, I don't want to give your family second place. I just want you, I want to develop a love and a sympathy and a tenderheartedness. And, and uh, the, this, these things here, this humility of mind, I, I want to grow you to be more and more like Christ 
because that's how Christ was. Throughout the New Testament, we, we see this challenge, this call to be Christ-like. Have you ever really sat down, what does it mean to be Christ-like? Well, Peter gives us five different things right here that you can, if you just want a list to start with, again, not to go out and start doing, but to pray, okay, God, will you make me, help me to be that person? Now, now I'm about to conclude, which number one, you're going to go, man, that was quick, quicker than usual, you're not quick. And I'm at a total loss this morning whether that connected with you at all or not. Because it really is strange. We are so geared to being, to doing instead of Christianity, just being who we are now, our identity. But here's the problem with the doing, and then I'll conclude. The problem with doing Christianity is that you only have so many do's in you. And some of you may only have 50 or 60 or 100 do's. Some of you may be a people of great character and, and courage and, and you're so very loving and you have a thousand do's in you. But at some point in time, when it's, Christianity is just something that you're doing, you're going to run. There's going to be enough temptation, enough trial, enough pushback by disappointment by those around you that you just want to stop doing. That's why I, I, I need to be a husband and I just do husband things. Not that she would ever challenge me in this way. But I only have so many do's as a husband if I'm getting resistance, if I'm getting pushback, if I'm getting rebellion. And on those really, really hard days, guys, that's why I need to be the husband. Understand that I, that's who I am. It's not something that I do. Does that make sense? Uh, you know, my, my big, biggest thing of preparing this was Okay, either this is going to connect, and you're a very intelligent crowd, so it has nothing to do with intelligence. It has everything to do if I'm explaining it correctly or not. Because the hard part about doing it is that you only have so many do's in you. And if you're doing Christianity, then I can offend you, others can offend you, others can let you down. There's so many things that can hurt you in this life when you're just doing Christianity that one of these days, guys, you're going to walk out of this church or another church, and you're going to be done with doing Christianity. And and that's my fear when we're just doing something is that we only have so many do's in us. And I've met person after person after person who's left a church and my father was one of them. He he came back to the church, praise God. but, but, But he left the church for a long time. My dad only had so many do's. And once he saw enough offenses, he saw a lot of things that didn't cut quite out of, he was done with church. I'm so glad because my father now is gone. And I believe that he resides in heaven with our father. That even if he had understanding or not, that, that even if he was doing church, that my father in heaven said, no, Christianity isn't something that you do, Bob Linkus. Christianity is who you are by the finished work of my son. And some days, guys, when we're done with the doing, and we're just we're finished with the doing, that's our only salvation. 
And so God said, no, Cliff, I've called you. You may be done because people have hurt you, this, that, and the other. You may be done with the trying, but I've called you. You are my son. And Cleve, you may be frustrated with this, and you may be ready and, uh, to, to turn tail and, and go because these people acted this way or this pe- person said that to, to your wife and that offended you. And he said, no, but I've called you. You are my son. The problem with doing is that you only have so many do's. So God doesn't call you into doing Christianity. He just calls you to be a Christian. And so this week, as you go through and you begin to see that, uh, he begins to reference Psalms 34, and he begins to, to, to reference a, a passage in there. And I'm going to go ahead and conclude. I know i got other slides, guys. I'm just going to conclude this morning. Uh, but basically in that passage, what he was saying was, you know, Psalms, that Psalms is reflected in a time of suffering, in a time when you're just done. You're just done. And what he was calling him back to is, okay, look, in the time that you're done, I want you to know that I still have you. You you may be done with something in your life today. I want you to know that God will give you strength. He'll give you the ability to, to stop the doing and start the being. And if you're done with maybe even church, I want you to know that it's not quite that simple. He hasn't called you just to do He said, this is who you are. You are a child of the living God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I love you. I thank you. And Father, I I feel this morning, Father, that I have totally uh, confused or messed up or not articulated. I'm so dependent upon you, Father, to to straighten out this mess. But Father, I pray that, that... Father, we just get this right because, Father, what a, what a chore it is to do Christianity. And you didn't call us into to a chore, a task to be completed. Father, you completed it all through Jesus Christ. And so, Father, when we see Peter call out and say, okay, I, I want you to be a people that are unity in mind. I want you to be a people that are sympathetic. I want you to be a people... Father, that, that truly has tender-hearted and brotherly love. Father, these are not tasks to go out and do this week, Father. Will you help us to become these people in the finished work of Christ Jesus? By the filling of your Spirit, Father, in our lives, will you help us to be these people? For this is what you've called us to. Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the hope of Christ. He is our only hope. And Father, this morning, as we go to your word, And we see the challenge there. Free us from the doing. Invite us, Father. Surround us with the being. Father, all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.